Uh, the rest of you, I'd ask you to turn. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn it to Luke 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, the text is printed for you in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, there are two on the back table, on the connect table, right behind that barrier there. I would love, that. that's our gift to you. I would love for you to take that. Um, but any, oh, and it's projected up there too. So any way you can have the text in front of you, that's going to be helpful. Helpful. Uh, one more thing before I get started to save us all from probable embarrassment. If, if you have a portable electronic device, which like I think almost everyone in this room probably has one, I'm going to go ahead and silence it. Uh, that's just awkward. Let's be honest. It's just awkward. It goes off in the middle. And So anyway, let me just welcome you again. What we're about to do during this time has a long history, right? Uh, somebody getting up and talking about the things of God... In fact, our passage this morning is an example of Jesus doing pretty much what I'm about to do, preaching. The way he did it is he would tell stories. Uh, we call them parables. That's not the only thing he did, but that's one of the things he did. And so uh, he, he would tell stories, and they were incredibly effective primarily because they're tricky. What I mean by that is that Jesus would tell a story that would sound familiar to those around him. It was something that they could connect with. Um, a part of their, maybe it was even a cultural story that they had told. You know, like, uh, you know, we have, we have cultural stories in America about our founding fathers and all these different things. Uh, but he spun the ending. He would spin it right at the end uh, to, to surprise and drive his point home. And our passage this morning get, does just that. And it does so because it unmasks our expectations. Look, we're no different than people during Jesus' day. We have expectations. Some of them are cultural uh, some of them that transcend culture, but they are expectations about what life is all about and what God, if there is a God, uh, expects of us and is pleased with. And this morning, what Jesus will show us is that there are two ways, but only one hope. If you have your place in the scriptures, our habit here in this church is to stand during the reading right before the sermon. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to be reading uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And as is our habit, let me remind us also that this is God's word, friends. It is, it is um, not something that Holy Cross decided, hey, we're going to go with this book and not some other. It's not something that even the Christian church said, hey, let's go with this one. It is, it is God's word, which means it lays claim on us. Let's hear it in that way. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're coming into this room with a bunch of different stuff. Some of us are already thinking about what to do after this, thinking about lunch. <laughs> Some of us are uh, already close to checking out. We need your help. We need you to open our hearts, we need you to open our ears, we need you to speak to us, to preach your gospel to us. Lord, let, let that gospel come to the fore, Jesus and his work. Let me just kind of fall into the background so that your name might receive all the praise we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. 
Let me lay out a few uh, realities. For some of us in this room this morning, this story is insanely familiar. Okay? You grew up in church. You've heard this story. It's probably part of children's Bibles that you can remember with weird pictures. But it's insanely familiar. And that means you're in danger right now. You're in danger of checking out because you've heard it all before. Nothing more to see here. Move on, right? For others of us, this story seems really archaic. It talks about temples uh, and tax collectors and some, some dude called a Pharisee. We're not even sure what that is. It's, it sounds archaic. And so you're in danger of checking out because you think this doesn't apply to you, right? For still others of us, this story is just really difficult to understand. It's not just archaic, it's confusing, and we don't really get it, and we're afraid no one's going to really explain it to us. What's about to happen is this dude's going to, talk, going to talk in a bunch of words that, that we don't understand. We're not, we, we're not familiar with the, the Christianese, the Christian speak, and so we're not sure what's going to happen. And so you're da- in danger of checking out. And lastly, some of us are in danger of checking out right now because we are convinced, utterly convinced, that someone else in this room really needs to hear this story. Right? I have good news for us. We are all in danger of checking out. Okay, so what I need you to do right now is to stay with me for about 30 minutes. My goal this morning is simply this. What I want to do is I want us to understand, not just intellectually, but actually grasp what the Bible and Jesus say about some basic questions. What is our problem and what is our solution? What is our problem and what is the solution? Now, some of us here were raised in the church, and for others this is our first time, but my guess is that most of us the vast majority of us in this room are deeply confused on that, those two questions. Don't really care where you're from this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this text in three ways. In your bulletins, there is a little outline. It's a half sheet of paper. If that's helpful to you to keep track and maybe you want to jot down some things, some questions, great. If not, just leave it where it is, okay? I'm going to look at three things. We're going to look at grasping the problem. We're going to look at grasping the solution. And finally, grasping the hope. Really easy, okay? Grasping the problem, grasping the solution, and grasping the hope, Okay? Let's start by looking at how Jesus defines the problem. Let's look at the problem we see. If you have, if you have the scripture in front of you, look down at verses 9 and 10. First things first, right? We need to understand that Jesus isn't just some kind of like random folk storyteller. What I mean by that is like some dude who just likes to walk the streets and just tell random people's stories. Like I know that many of us maybe have grown up thinking that, that he's just kind of this pontificating person who walked around in sandals and just would end up telling stories. Maybe some of our children's Bibles actually kind of paint that picture for us. But that's not what he did, okay? Uh, When Jesus told stories, it was because he was trying to teach something to people who were probably committed to not hearing him. You know what I mean by that, right? He He told stories to people who probably had a commitment not to listen. It's something that Jesus was great at and Christians are terrible at. Because what he would do is he would tell a story... For those for whom, if he just kind of said what the lesson was, kind of told the moral of it all, and the, like, they're prepared for that. The frontal thing is not going to work for them. They're not listening. And so we go in the side door. Jesus was great at it. Christians are terrible at it, okay? And so verse 9, of course, tells us why he told this story in the first place. Luke tells us, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and had contempt for others. Okay, now we need to stop there because that's important. Because I think almost all of us, because I think it's part of our cultural narrative, have this idea that Christianity uh, is for a group of people whose lives are a wreck. Right? Uh, we, we think it is kind of a spiritual pick-me-up for those who can't seem to get it together. But here, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but here Jesus is specifically addressing those who think 
they're doing just fine. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now, that word righteous is not one we use much outside of churchy context or maybe some kind of weird sitcom from the 90s. But, but what, so that means that what it means for us is probably meaningless. What it means is that they were right. In other words, like saying the world, everything in the world is right. Okay, not like correct, but that things were right for them. In this context, it means right before God. They were right before him. They trusted in themselves. In other words, the people that Jesus is talking to here are pretty good people. They think they're pretty moral. As a matter of fact, they may be. You tracking with me? These are upright moral folks. We need to get that because this is really important. What Jesus is about to do for these upright and moral folks is really important. Okay? Then Jesus begins. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now stop there. Because if you were one of the people who originally was hearing Jesus say this, a ton of things just got communicated to you. But because of our cultural distance, we don't get it. Because most of us are like, okay, what does that mean? All right? Here's the deal. Jesus could not have mentioned two more different stereotypes Two more opposite kinds of people than this. Here's why. In, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were like the really good folks. The really religious folks. The really moral folks. Now, that you might think, if you were just the average Joe, you might think, well, the Pharisees are a little stuffy, a little prudish. But for the most part, you're going to respect them. They keep their nose clean. They're upstanding citizens. Um, you know, they, they really paid a lot of attention to certain things like what they ate and... Um, and whether or not they kept themselves distant from bad people. Like, these, these were folks that, I think for most of us, is the stereotype of the, like the, the religious dude. Pharisees are the religious guy. They looked at the Old Testament as a whole, and they were so meticulous about keeping a lot of the rules in it, that they actually made regulations to keep them from getting anywhere near breaking the rules. You and I know people like this, right? It drives us nuts. It's like not only do they not do X, but they, they make sure they don't, come any, they don't come within 50 yards of X to make sure that they don't break it. Now, that's Pharisees, but tax collectors, now they're another story. You and I think tax collectors, we think the IRS, um, most of us in this room don't have a really great relationship with the IRS, but that's, that's, that doesn't even come close to who tax collectors were. I want you to imagine things for a minute with me. Imagine that you are a conquered people. That you're an occupied nation. And the dudes that, that occupy you think you backwards. They think you silly. They don't mind abusing you in the street. They don't mind uh, stealing from you because you have no legal recourse. Now, I want you to imagine that your neighbor, the dude you grew up with, you went to school with, your neighbor works for them. And what he does is he collects taxes for them. And the way his contract works is this. They need from each and every one of us 20 bucks. But the dude who collects it, now he can collect as much as he wants on top of that and keep it for himself. As long as the, as long as the man gets his 20, he can collect 100, 200, doesn't matter. The empire needs his 20. And if you don't give that money, he's got soldiers sitting right next to him going to make you give it. How do you think you look on that guy? He's not, your favorite. He's not the dude you're inviting over to poker on Friday night. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy is understood as a traitor both to his people and to God. That was tax collectors. There were few more hated people in Jewish culture than tax collectors. So here's the contrast. 
the dude who's really well-respected, moral, and upright, and the dude that you probably wouldn't bother to kick if you were lying on the ground because he's not worth your foot. You know what I'm saying? Okay? In our context, it would be like the little old church lady, right? And I don't mean Dana Carvey's church lady. I mean like the little old church lady who's actually like really nice and good, and like dude who's a train wreck, train wreck, Mr. Trainwreck, okay? Now, here's the thing. When we look at them, the problem that we see is behavioral, right? We see a behavioral problem, and, but, which means that we really only see one problem. The problem is with train wreck dude. The problem is with tax collector. This is because, and I think especially for those of us who have some church background, we think that if there is a problem with humanity, if there is a problem with us, it's just that we're just not quite moral enough. But that, though, isn't what Jesus is trying to describe. Here's how we know. Let's look at the problem he describes. First, he says that both of them were heading to the temple to pray. Now, that's kind of foreign to us, so stay with me. Because to get at what the temple is about, we have to understand the story of the Bible. Because in the story of the Bible, the, the Bible says that God created the whole world, and he created it good. And he put humanity in the world as good. That we were good, very good, in fact. And he walked with us in the cool of the day. We were created to be in relationship with him and to be in dependence on him. In other words, we were dependent on him for all things. But we turned from him and betrayed him. We did that because we believed a lie. We believed that we could be like him by eating a piece of fruit. Really interesting lie. And and we believed that we didn't really need him. That he didn't care for us. And when we did that, that betrayal which is what the Bible calls sin, that betrayal changed everything. It had consequences. And the first of those is guilt. Now, as soon as I say that, many of us in the room are like, man, why do Christians always have to be talking about guilt? Why does God always have to be so angry? Okay? Now, it's not quite that simple, but the reality is, is that you and I know that this is what happens because you've been betrayed. I've been betrayed. And when we are betrayed... Something happens. There is something that comes. Uh, it, It doesn't just go away. There is a guilt that has to be dealt with. The second consequence, though, isn't just guilt. It's corruption. Now, what I mean by that is that something in us changed. Now, listen close. This is really important. Because the Bible says, the Bible teaches that when humanity first betrayed God, something in us twisted. Something that was right suddenly became twisted. It didn't go away. It was just twisted. We were made to love and depend on God, but what happened was we were, what happened in us, something twisted such that we were willing to love and depend on anything but him. Matter of fact, everything but him, especially in ourselves. We were bent towards independence. Now, the language that the Bible uses to talk about this is the language of slavery, bondage. We are in bondage to a certain way of being that the Bible calls sin. All of us. Now, this is really important, so listen close. Because this means that the, the, the scriptures actually teach, the Bible actually teaches, that we aren't sinners because we sin. Okay? That would be a behavioral problem. We sin because we're sinners. Something is wrong in us, and it produces an effect out of us. The behavior comes from something that is wrong. Now, here's why this matters. Because God wasn't okay with this. Right as soon as that betrayal happened, he made a promise that he's going to make things right. That everything's going to change. 
He's going to make things right. And then the rest of the Old Testament is about how God went about fulfilling that promise. And the temple where these two dudes went up to go pray is, a, is part of, of the way in which God pointed ahead to his answer to that promise. Because the temple was the place where you went to meet with God. That's where his special presence dwelt. It's where you could be reconciled with him. Your guilt could be taken care of. Everything could be changed for you. Okay? The fact that both are going there the Pharisee and the tax collector, implies that there's a problem in both. Trainwreck dude and church lady, both have the same problem. Both got to go to the same place. And here's where it hits the road. Look at verse 11. Because you see, we aren't the only ones who heard about the Pharisee and the tax collector and assume only one was, was the one with the problem, Okay. Jesus says that when the Pharisee comes to pray, now, the translation that I read is not real helpful here, but in the original, what it says is that the the Pharisee prayed to himself. Not as if, like, he stood aloof and prayed on his own. Dude prayed to himself. What is that about? He's supposed to be returning to the Lord, but he isn't even praying to the Lord. He's praying to himself. Now, for many of us, this should be creating some uneasiness, right? Wait a minute. This is a religious dude. What's going on? Why is he praying to himself? Why would Jesus describe the moral religious person as doing this? But more hints are given when we see the way the tax collector responds. Look at verse 13. Because there we see him say this, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, that, that word mercy in the original language, certainly it means, it means mercy, but it means something more. There are two ways to talk about Uh, the problem when you've offended someone. One of the ways is talking about the way that we offend against a system, right? Um, Our justice system does it like this, right? When you commit a felony, when you commit a crime, you're doing it against the state, not against a person, right? It's against the state. That's why justice is blind, or we say it is in in our society, because it's against a system. The word that's used here, though, is about the second way, which is when you offend a person, when things need to be made right between you and a, a person. It's relational. And that's what's brought out here. Do you see the problem that Jesus is laying out? The problem is not that we're not good. The problem is not that we have bad behavior. The problem is that our relationship with God is broken, which has then led to our bad behavior. The Pharisee has good behavior, but no relationship with God. He prays to himself. The tax collector, at least up to this point, has had no relationship with God either because he's openly turned from him, but both are in the exact same position. Church lady and train wreck, neither of them have a relationship with God. The two are the same, okay? Now that brings us to the solution we believe. Look down at verses 10 to 12. Because listen, you and I have two ways that we normally deal with our problem. And we can look at them as the Pharisee's path and the tax collector's path, okay? The Pharisee's path is basically this. I'm going to make things right. I can be good enough. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can make good decisions. I can be responsible. Sure, I can't be perfect. I'll still go to the temple. But in comparison with that dude, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Matter of fact, God's pretty lucky to have me. You know, little flash on the smile, Okay. Did you see that? Because that's what, the te- that's what the Pharisee's talking about. Look, don't get me wrong. He mentions a lot of good things. He doesn't extort people. I wonder why he thought about that with the tax collector standing nearby. Because that's all that dude did was extortion. Okay? 
He didn't commit adultery. He wasn't greedy. He didn't da 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 He tithed on everything he got. Good job. Good job. Okay? Fantastic. All right. But that doesn't fix anything. Because in the end, Jesus says, that dude went back to his house not right before God. Congratulations. You have a bunch of good behavior. Well done. But the tax collectors up to this point, like up to the point where Jesus picks him up, like Jesus picks him up in a story to change, but up to this point in the story, it looks different, but it's the same because what the tax collector basically did throughout his life is he said this, I'm going to make things right by getting what I want when I want it. I'll make my life right by getting money and power and sex and all of it by using people. Y'all don't matter to me. All that matters to me is that I get mine. Now, if the Pharisee is the more religious option, this is clearly the more irreligious option, right? The Pharisee tried religion to make things right. The tax collector, irreligion. And we're no different. Because some of us think we can make things right. Some of us in this room right now, and some of you all have been in church your whole life, and you've been living on this. We think we can make things right by, getting, by, by just being moral and good and responsible. And others of us think we can make things right by getting whatever we want whenever we want it. But both have something in common. Both of us think we need to make it right. And that we can. Listen to me. Because this is the most important part of this entire message. That's the problem. Thinking we can make it right. Chris said, it, Chris said it when he was up here sharing that it was about saving ourselves. That's what that is. One looks religious, one doesn't. But both have the same ultimate result. Trying to save ourselves. Don't believe me. Believe Jesus. Look down at verses 13 and 14. How do things work out for the tax collector? What is the solution that Jesus says actually takes care of the problem? Well, first, he grasps his need. Jesus says he won't even look up, and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, now, some, are like, some of us are like, well, duh. Like, of course he's a sinner. Have you looked at his life? I know, but we need to get how the Bible defines that. Remember what I said. The Bible says that we sin because we're sinners. That we are in bondage. That you and I are in need of rescue, not reformation. We don't need to be reformed. We need to be rescued. The whole point of this is that the tax collector gets that. He gets it. And the Pharisee doesn't. The Pharisee doesn't get it at all. In the Pharisee's mind, he's got things covered, thank you very much. Mercy? (laughs) Now that's for those who can't help themselves. And she says, no, 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 no. You're not getting it. Jesus says the only solution is to first recognize that we are all hopelessly broken and in need of rescue. That means, friend, I don't care what you brought into this room with you, there is nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with me and vice versa, by the way. Now, it may look different in my life than yours. It may have a different outward expression. There's nothing different. The tax collector used people by exhorting money from them. The Pharisee used them by trying to make himself look good in comparison with them. Either way, I'm pretty sure that ain't loving your neighbor. And so the Bible would call that sin. One kept God distant through his morality. I don't need you, God. Thank you very much. I'm pretty good. The other kept him distant through his immorality. I don't want you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right? But both kept him distant. One looks clean, the other dirty, but both are signs that we need God to rescue us. So the first thing that the tax collector did is he 
saw his need. The second thing he does is return to God. Now, did you notice that? The Pharisee's off praying to himself, but the tax collector actually comes and approaches the one he's betrayed. Now, here's why so, this is so important. Most of us have this image that if we're going to go to church, if we're going to be Christians, then what we need to do is we need to get our lives together. We need to clean it up. We make ourselves look nice. And then we can come. Friends, this is the point. First off, you can't. Our problem is not behavioral. It's in here. It's the heart. You're going to replace your heart? Good luck with that. Okay? You can't do it. Secondly, like, you can't solve your independence problem independently. If you were made for dependence on God and anything other than that is sin, you, you think you're going to independently make yourself dependent on God? It, it can't happen. You have to return to the God you've turned away from. And this is where Jesus comes in. Because you see... Christianity all all rests on the shoulders of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God became human. God took on humanity to live the life we couldn't. Not just perfectly moral, perfectly good, but perfectly dependent on, on God. And then he died to take on himself the guilt that we rightly deserve for our betrayal. Friends, this is what forgiveness is. I know some of us in this room really struggle with the idea of God uh, putting sin on a, on a guiltless person so that others, the guilty, might go free. And that sounds like that is just straight up wrong. Well, we have to remember two things. One, Jesus is God, which means that God took that guilt on himself. He didn't put it on somebody else. And secondly, that, friends, is what forgiveness is. You steal a 20 from me, okay? I have two options. I get the 20 back from you. We call that justice. Or I say it's forgiven. And in that case, I'm out 20 bucks. I'm out 20 bucks. Either you're going to pay me back or I'm going to pay it. But somebody's going to pay it. That's the way these things, that's the way forgiveness works. When you were betrayed, either, either the one who betrayed you pays for it and we call that justice or the betrayed person bears it and we call that forgiveness. But either way, someone has to bear it. And that is exactly what God did in Jesus. He did this so that when we trust in him by faith, we are returning to dependence on God. Listen, this is the great difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Because world religions, world systems, whatever, whatever you want to call them, will say, here's the path you walk. Here are the pillars you have to follow. Here's the 12-fold this and the 10-fold and 10 easy steps to this and self-help gurus, okay? All they're going to tell you is, here's what you need to do to make things right. What Christianity says is, here's what God did to make you right. Will you accept it? That's the difference. And the one who does, according to Jesus, returns home justified. That is, he is right with God. Now, let me try and speak in an applied manner if I can this morning. Because there are lots of different people here in this room, right? Lots of different people. But my guess is, is that all of us really fall into one of these two positions. We have tried to deal with our problem by walking the path of the Pharisee or by walking the path of the tax collector. And so first, I want to lay out hope for both. Let's first look at hope for the Pharisee. Remember what I said at the beginning, that Jesus is telling this story to those who trusted in themselves, that they're righteous? He's trusting in, them, they're trusting in themselves. We have this vision, like I said before, that Christianity is for the weak, right? That it's a crutch, 
that is for those who are, who are weak-minded and can't help themselves up, guess what? It is. That's exactly who it's for. What Jesus is doing here is helping those who think they are strong, those who think they are wa- they're walking, to realize your legs are broken, bro. You can't walk. You are weak. You just think you're strong. That is his entire point. Now, you may be wondering if you fall into this category, so let me help. If you heard me say this morning that before God you were in no better shape than Mr. or Ms. Trainwreck, and you got a little angry at that, you're probably a Pharisee. If you find yourself often thinking, well, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like that dude or girl or what have you, you're probably walking the path of a Pharisee. If you try really hard to keep away from those kind of people so that everyone knows really clearly that you don't affirm their lifestyle, (laughs) Pharisee, you tracking? Here's the good news. God loves you, Pharisee, but not because you're good. Listen to me. Let's be honest for a minute, can't we? If, If you struggle with being a Pharisee this morning, listen real close. You and I both know it's not enough right? You work really hard, and you work really hard because you know it's not enough, and you're tired. I know you're tired. That is why you constantly are on the lookout for those who you think are doing it better than you, and then you search endlessly for a way to cut them down, to make, to expose them, because you're terrified that they're going to show that they're right and you're not. That is why you desperately struggle with the fear of whether you would be loved if people really knew you and why you constantly feel the need to hide who you really are. Friend, you can lay down those fears. Because the good news to you this morning is this. You are way more broken and sinful than you think you are. Cheer up. Like, way worse. Way worse. You think the problem is just behavioral, but you're wrong. You're wrong. It's deep, man. You can't polish it up. You polish up that pile, it's still something the dog left behind. Got me? Like, you can't polish it. Your behavior is bad because your heart is bad, just like mine and just like everyone else in the world. But friend, Jesus loved you in the midst of your brokenness. Knowing the ugliness of how you use people and secretly hate God for having such a standard or hate him for not being able to, not coming through for you like you think he should have. He loved you and he died to reconcile you to himself. Which means you don't have to pretend anymore. You and I both know it ain't working. I know you're broken, so do you. Lay down your independence and return to the God you're made for. But there's also hope for the tax collector. Because look, some of us clean up real nice on Sunday. But throughout the week, we are a jacked-up mess. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of us are so bound up with shame and guilt that the only way we know how to deal with it is by making others pay or making ourselves pay. We chase money or power or sex or security or respect because we think that will make life right for us. We're going to get rich, we're going to die trying, right? But all it ends up making us is guilty and shameful and feeling out of control. 
And behind whatever toughness we put up is the reality that we don't believe that God would have anything to do with us even if we wanted to have something to do with him. Because we're not sure we can ever clean ourselves up. Listen, I know this because I've lived it. I've been there. I've wrestled with that shame. I still wrestle to some, to some extent with that shame. But I have good news for you this morning. You are more loved than you ever dared to dream. God isn't asking you to clean yourself up. You can't. That is the whole problem with the Pharisee, is that he thought he could. And the answer to being Mr. Trainwreck is not to be church lady. The answer to being tax collector is not to go be Pharisee. Those are both wrong. Both those dudes are lost. God came in Jesus and died for you right where you are because he loves you right where you are. I know this is hard to believe, but friend, if it isn't true, if it isn't true, there is no hope for any of us. Any of us. Those things you are chasing cannot satisfy you and will not save you. No matter how in bondage you feel to them. Listen, Jesus is the only master who will fulfill you completely and when you fail him, forgive you totally. Lay down your independence and return to the God you were made for. Now let me conclude. Because what, Je- what made Jesus such an amazing storyteller, like I said before, is that he would upend everyone's expectations and he still does. Because what Jesus came to bring was something totally different from both religion and irreligion. Both morality and immorality. He brought the gospel. When he came on the scene, it's literally the first thing he said. He said, he said um, the kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Not repent and go be good. So repent and believe the gospel. And that gospel is that we are hopelessly broken and in need of rescue. Every single one of us. But that God came to answer for our betrayal and offers that rescue to any who will simply lay their entire hope on him by faith. Friends, that is the central message of Christianity. And that is the basis of our hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, wherever we're at this morning, and my guess is that there, there are folks in this room, well, I know, there are folks in this room in both camps. Some of us are walking hard that path of the Pharisee. We're walking hard. We're trying to make things good because we think we can. We don't, we don't need your help. Thank you very much. Some of us are walking the path of the tax collector. But all of us are desperately in need of grace. And so, Lord, we come this morning. We ask that you would, you would press your gospel into our hearts and show us grace, not because of anything other than the love that you have for us that was shown in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We ask all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen.